So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. All right, good evening, folks, and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling, broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on Wednesday. It's the Hump Day Barbecue Show. Should we rename it the Hump Day Barbecue Show? If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do it one of two ways, 877-448-0433. You can also email the show if you would care to do it through the written, uh, the written word, greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Two ways to get in touch with me. Everything else you want to find out about the show, you can hit it at the traditional website, the bbqcentralshow.com. Uh as we do every Wednesday that we've been doing the show, it's now, I believe, in our third week of existence. Coming up in 10, 11 minutes from now, the Ask Dr. Barbecue recurring segment with Ray Lampy. Uh, we did have Stephen Reichland, icon, slocked, slocked, which is uh, both slated and locked together, slocked in to help me close the show, but he had a... Uh, I, I don't know if I would call it like a family medical emergency, but something that took uh, substantially more precedence over doing a uh, guest spot here on this show tonight. Uh, so we wish him well, but in high-to-do replacement, we resurrect Connie's Recipe Corner. Uh, if you are a fan of the show, you know that means that my mom will come on and we will talk about some uh, new recipes that uh, she is getting into and I guess kind of keeping in the spirit of what the Wednesday show was about, and we'll get into that here in a second. Uh, it's not, ne- you know, the recipes that she does, you've, if you've heard her on the uh, traditional Tuesday show, uh, her recipes aren't ones that traditionally require a grill or whatever. So, you know, it's just more general cooking stuff. And as always, if you're interested in trying what recipe she's working on, you just need to shoot me an email and then I'll forward those over to you uh, via email in a Word document. You can try them out. You can let me know how well they worked, how well they didn't work, suggestions that you might have for adjusting them to your palate or a particular flavor profile or preference. And we'll go from there. So uh, that is what we have on tap tonight, plus your phone calls and emails if you want to do it. Again, those numbers, 877-448-0433. Email is greg at the BBQ Central Show. Dot com. Beautiful stuff. If you missed the show last night, shame on you. However, I certainly understand. So uh, here's what you want to do. A, sub- at the very least, if you don't get the show live, subscribe to the podcast. And you can do that a number of different ways. Uh, the, I guess, most popular way that people do it is through iTunes. So if you search into the podcast section of iTunes, a BBQ Central Radio Show, uh, you'll see the traditional logo kind of looks 
like this thing in some form or fashion, a little bit more square. But, you know, you get the idea. There's also a Barbecue Central podcast, which I would also suggest listening to because I also did those. But those were the pre-recorded shows that I did prior to doing the live show, which is almost now in its sixth year, if you can believe it or not. You can also use a podcast catcher or an XML retriever or whatever geeky term you want to use. Uh, if you don't know the XML address for the show itself, you can email me and I can uh, certainly hook you up with that. Or you can just subscribe to the newsletter because all of that information is jam-packed and sent out each Tuesday and now each Wednesday, if I can remember. And you can subscribe through such p- formats or platforms as Juice Catcher, which I used prior to getting uh, my iPhone device. And now that I have an Android smartphone, I use uh, something completely different. However, doesn't mean that you can't subscribe to the iTunes uh, or the podcast in any number of different ways. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, because we do shoot video here while we're also doing the show. And uh, those go up pretty much uh, hour two, three after we air the show live throughout our cookingchannel.com. It does go to YouTube. And then, of course, you can get all of my archives through... The Outdoor Cooking Channel. Hold on one second. Give me one second. So I heard my phone dinging like five or six times. I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't getting a uh, late entry cancellation, but uh, we are all good. Uh, so full archives can obviously be found right at my website as well, thebbqcentralshow.com. Now, if you missed the show last night, uh, some highlights. We started out the show with Ted Reader. Uh, he did uh, uncover that he has a new teaching gig at Niagara College. We talked about bone marrow prep and eating. We talked about apples, which ones to eat raw, which ones to cook with. We talked about the world record burger he made a few years back. Ted is always literally, no pun intended, a gas, and uh, I always enjoy talking with him. It's very unique to me to have conversation with him and just kind of, as I'm listening live, hear how his mind works and is so creative when it comes to food not only in the culinary sense, but in the business sense as well. Uh, then we talked with Justin McGlawn, the pitmaster of Lucky's Q. We talked about the upcoming Sam's Club final taking place this coming weekend. Uh, he's going to be looking to defend his crown that he won last year. Said he hasn't really been uh, as consistent, or he's kind of been having the up and down year, but likes the way they're cooking now, happy to be back in the finals. Hell, just wanted to get out of the local, and as he said, not pull, uh, not the tippy canoe with Tippy Canoe won the previous year, and then they couldn't make out of the locals the following year. And then came the most talked about segment in uh, recent history. Okay, let's try that again. In recent history, if you tuned in, you got full blast in the face Ronnie Lott. Again, easily one of the most talked about segments of the show in recent memory, and if you missed it, uh, you'll have to go back to the archives for that one and check it out because he jumped over... 50 different topics, place was haunted, how he got in the business. He was a wrestling promoter, like the mouthpiece, like Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. 
To say he was a little amped up might be one of the biggest understatements on the face of the earth running right now. Check out Ronnie Lotz. And then we close the show with Daniel Vaughn. Talked a bit about the worst barbecue joints in Texas. Ended on the Arby's brisket sandwich and the use of mayo. Let me tell you. When we actually sat down, because I had really, uh, when, when I was outlining some questions that I wanted to ask Daniel doing my show prep in advance during the week before, I've seen, and well, well I talked with uh, Neil Strauder a couple weeks back, and we were talking about that brisket sandwich impromptu, and he said, you know, I could go without the mayonnaise. And I said, yeah, it seemed kind of weird. And then when we were talking with Daniel, when he said that he had interviewed the corporate chef for Arby's and was kind of asking him about this brisket sandwich, he brought up mayo on his own and said, you know, it's it's really not for uh, flavor because, you know, that pairs well with barbecue sauce and French fried onion straws and the brisket that they're getting from, you know, some packer in Texas or, or whatever, some vendor in Texas. It's there, A, to add moisture, but because it's a, I don't know if you said like oily-based spread, Inherently, it takes on the flavors that it is melding with. So you're not getting the mayonnaise taste, if you will. It's taking on the flavor of the brisket. So when you take a bite, uh, the mayonnaise kind of coats your mouth. It has the brisket juices and flavor on it, and now it's rolling all the way around your mouth. And it's giving you, a, I guess, what, what I would consider to be more of an amped-up barbecue brisket flavor than you would get if perhaps... The mayonnaise wasn't on there, which leads me to want to do this type of experiment. First, gather my druthers and put personal feelings aside about what's good barbecue and what isn't. And this doesn't mean I would ever go out and try the McRib. But get a uh, brisket sandwich from Arby's with the mayo and one without and see if the one with mayo has a better overall mouthfeel and a better, more importantly, overall flavor than the brisket sandwich without the mayo underneath it. Maybe that would be a brilliant science experiment. Maybe one we do right here on the show. How about that? I'm not going to say it's definitely going to happen, but there's no reason to think that, you know, there's uh, any reason why perhaps maybe it wouldn't happen. But you tell me. No, Matt, this is not horsey sauce. It's straight up manic. All right, we got Dr. Barbecue coming up. For the Ask Dr. Barbecue segment, if you've been anxious to hear tips on cooking brisket for the backyard, you're going to want to take notes and make sure that you highlight this one in the archives because we're going to be talking about it quite a bit. And then my mom after that, Connie's Recipe Corner. And uh, let me re- quickly remind you, if you are somebody that it is in the barbecue and grilling market or industry, you have a product or service you're looking to get out in front of a consuming public that has an interest in this industry, This is the show you want to do it. Nobody sounds better. Nobody is more prepared. Nobody is more professional. Nobody offering you more options to get your wares, services, products, what have you, in front of the general consuming barbecue and grilling public. Uh, So if you are interested, please feel free to shoot me an email, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. That's greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And uh, drop me a line. Tell me you're interested. We'll kind of sift it out, see if the product or the service fits with the show and the concept. I will vet you out a little bit to make sure you're not some fly-by-night operation. Because my reputation is at stake with everybody I partner with as well. Everybody that I partner with, you know, I use or I have used in the past, whatever the case may be. So it's not just I'm taking your money. It's not like that. We partner. 
and we'll go from there. Greg at thebbqcentralshow.com, and uh, we will be back with Ray Lampy, Ask a Dr. Barbecue, the weekly segment, coming up right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Questions about barbecue or grilling, maybe as a hobby or even a business? Looking to get an expert's point of view? Why not ask Dr. Barbecue? You can submit your questions by clicking on the Ask Dr. Barbecue tab on the website. The doctor is in. Here's Ray Lampy with his nurse, Greg Rempe. Dr. Barbecue. Wow. I didn't have my mic on. Ray, are we almost professional or what? That's pretty exciting, I'll tell you. I'm yeah. fired up. Uh, I think maybe next week I'll actually have the splash screen, and uh, we'll have the audio, and then we'll have a little video for the uh, the video side of people as well, and we'll be ready to make our fast jump onto Channel 3 local news at 2 o'clock in the morning to do the show. Yeah, we'll really be professional then. Oh, yeah, it'll be something all right. All right, so we actually have uh, quite a bit to get to tonight. And a lot of this is actually going to be brisket-based. It seems like whenever you open up the proverbial floodgates of let's ask somebody questions about barbecue, uh, this brisket thing seems to uh, rear its head. And, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say that it freaks people out or that it is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh what do you call the menacing? Uh, perhaps might be a good word, but you know, it's. I guess maybe because it's a cut that is traditionally maybe a little bit more expensive than, let's say, a pork butt or chicken. Where if you screw it up, you're like, well, you know, I didn't really. I'm not out that much money. You screw up a whole pack, or you know, you're out fifty, sixty bucks or more, depending on you know what grade you're getting. So you know, just in an overall sense, do you think that there's too much of a stigma put on brisket? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of things. You know, for for one, okay, the other the alternative would be a pork butt, and no matter, it's almost impossible to screw it up. So no, you know, by about the third one, you're getting really good at it, and your pork butt's good. Everybody wants it. Pork pulled pork is available in the tub at the grocery store, and 
at every restaurant known to man. I mean, it's it's a simple thing. Now, brisket's a whole nother deal. You know, it, it seems kind of similar, but it's not. It's it's about your 30th one that you start getting good at cooking brisket. So I think guys are frustrated by that because they want it to cook like a pork butt and it doesn't. Or ribs, which they, everybody, they put so much effort into ribs. Guys are so into it that they seem to get really good at those. Or chicken. So brisket's the one that, that gives everybody fits. But you're right. It is expensive. It's uh, if you can't get it at the store. You know, generally most of us can't get it at the grocery store. So it's sort of this this pie in the sky. Uh, aside from being really hard to cook. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised to see these questions. All right. So here's the first question. It's actually a Twitter or a tweet for all the non-technically challenged people out there at Josh Sports 67. So look, I'm sure he's looking for new followers. So follow at Josh Sports 67. What temperature do you cook brisket at? Also, rub suggestions and maybe right. We should make it a little bit more broad scope because I did get a question from Josh Bailey as well, asking me about how to get good, consistent results in the backyard as well. Yeah, I, you know, one of the other things about brisket is everybody is looking for the magic bullet, you know. <laughs> what's the secret rub that's going to somehow make it good? What's the cooking temperature that's going to somehow not make it dry? And There's no such thing as that, you know. it's uh, Cooking temperature, let's just start there. Oh, for me, 225 to 250, 260. I'm not a psycho temperature watcher. Uh I teach a lot of men how to cook barbecue, and they all want to make it an engineering project. Come on, man. You know the temperature. It's barbecue. <laughs> now, you want to start talking about cooking hot and fast? I'm, I'm out on that. I, I'm not a fan of that. It doesn't mean I won't do it once in a pinch when I have to, but I happen to think cooking barbecue, there's one way to do it, and you cook it at about 250 degrees. All right. So as far as, I guess, uh, rub is concerned, is there, and look, I mean, honestly, there's, uh, what, 857,000 different rubs out there available on the market today. So, I mean, it's not even like it was five or six years ago. I mean, it's just proliferated like crazy. But is there a flavor profile that might work better with a brisket versus just, you know, puking out a bunch of different names? Well, yeah, hell, it's not the same as it was a week ago. There's yeah, 100 right. new ones, I think, you know. Traditionally with brisket, we think about, uh, I think a lot of salt on beef is important, but that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, pepper, peppery, uh, Chris Capel's uh, cowlick rub is a good one. I happen to think it needs salt, and I always tease him that if he'd add more salt and MSG to his rubs, they'd really be good. But um, I think that's a real peppery rub, and I like that one a lot, frankly. So a lot of salt, a lot of pepper to me. You know, the, the, the school of thought is that you wouldn't want to put sweet on brisket, but, uh, you know, in the contest world, man, there's a whole lot of sugar getting put on briskets. I never thought, I never agreed with that. I always put sugar, as much sugar on my briskets as I did on my pork butts when I was doing well and never had a problem with that. So I think that's, a, that's something we all want to think that you don't put a lot of sugar on brisket, but I, I don't agree with that. So I think, frankly, any of the normal barbecue rubs that you're using are going to be just fine. I, I would maybe add a little bit of either red pepper or black pepper, maybe a little bit of both. But but other than that, I, I don't think about it as very different. Once again, guys are looking for a magic bullet, and I just don't think it exists. So when we talk about the word consistency, and it doesn't, you know, this doesn't have to be, you know, related to competition, although there is one competition question uh, that is spiced in here as far as uh, brisket is are concerned. But, you know, just like me, a guy in the backyard, and you cook a lot in the backyard too, Ray. I mean, let's be honest. What kind of uh, 
process can you institute or are there things that you should do across your brisket cut to allow you to at least get some type of a consistent product, you know, whether you're doing it every week or, you know, every other month? Yeah, these days I cook more in the backyard than anywhere else, frankly. It's kind of weird. But, um, well, you know, it's funny. When I started years ago, we would buy the best quality choice briskets we could get our hands on. And we would we didn't really inject them with anything. So you always cook two. And inevitably, they would come out different. We, we wrapped them at some point. It was pretty traditional what we have now. You wrap it in, you know, three quarters of the way through the cooking and cooked them up to about 200 degrees. But without all these injections and everything, they were radically different. You'd often get one that was completely different than the other. Now it seems like, you know, we buy these, these high-quality briskets, and, and the packers, even at the choice level, understand what we're looking for, and they're pulling them, and they show up in the, in the market. Between that and the, the crazy phosphate injections and the high-quality rubs and the smokers that, that stay right on temp like, like magic, um, I don't know who's cooking two briskets anymore. I, I, I quit years ago because there was just no reason to. They were coming out exactly the same. Um, so, I, you know, it, it, it's like everything else. Just do everything the same way. The, keep your notebook and, and know what temperature you're cooking at. But all these variables, gosh, the, the competition guys in particular, they've, they've eliminated them all. These smokers are like, you know, magic. They stay right on temp. They, they get the exact size brisket they want. They get these high-quality briskets. They inject them with phosphates, and it comes out the same every week. It's pretty impressive. For the home cook in the backyard, if you've got like a, a crappy stick burner or something where you're having a hard time with the temperature, temperature, steady temperature is really important. Uh, I think that's probably the key. Leave all the fat on and just don't overcook it. I, I'm not a fan of cooking brisket real fast. If you know the science of how meat works, uh, cooking it too fast is going to have all the fat run out of it, and it's just not doesn't work that way. Uh, sous vide. Read, read about sous vide if you don't know anything about it. It's a process where they the meat never gets above 145 or 150 degrees, and they hold it for an extended period of time, and it loses basically zero weight and zero fat. And that's very much related to barbecue if you're cooking it nice and slow. You won't lose a lot of fat and you won't lose all the collagen. Eventually it will break down. It's going to take a little bit longer. Um, I'm getting off on a different tangent there. I don't know what that has to do with consistency, but whatever it is, I guess, that you do, do it the same every time. The question that I ask on Tuesday's show to the competition cooks is, you know, uh, at one point the guy that's leading the points, Chase, said that he was starting to see perhaps a trend of people getting away from injecting. Uh, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Everybody I've ever asked after that statement has said completely the opposite. But, you know, in, in this day and age for a backyard cook, because there are so many injections widely available, is injection commonly thought of as it's only to be done in competitions and I shouldn't do it in the backyard? And if so, is that something that people should start introducing to their home barbecue arsenal? Oh, I think uh, injecting briskets is something you should do for sure. I think it's great. I was one of the uh, original guys. I used to talk to Joe Ames and he told us what that was all about, the Fab B. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I, I taught a lot of guys how to use it back in the day. I was like the crack crack dealer uh, showing guys how to use that stuff. But I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I, I, I would use it at home. Absolutely. You know, sometimes I like my brisket to be a little different anyway. Though I like to cook it 
playing without the injection at home. But I had, but I understand how brisket works, and it's going to be a little bit drier, and it might be a little chewy when I take it off, or it might turn into pot roast if I wrap it and leave it wrapped too long. I'm not that worried about it at home. I'm going to eat it that way. I may want to try and cook it like a Texas restaurant-style brisket with just salt and pepper and let it get a little crusty on the outside. So I may choose to do that that day. But if I'm trying to make the perfect brisket to have for Christmas dinner, I would definitely use the injection products. Now, I'm not familiar with all the new ones that are out there. I was Fab B and, and David from Butchers, when he was getting started, I tried some of his products early on and helped him, uh, well, helped him as much as I could, but I, I kind of guided him because if you remember, there was a time when we couldn't get Fab B, and that's what kind of created some of these other ones. Um, but as far as I know, they're all very similar, and the phosphates are the key in my mind to keeping the brisket juicy. So if your brisket's getting dry, order up some of that stuff and inject it in there and you may see a big difference. Is there, we'll move on to the next question here in just a second, but perhaps all of these questions are leading to this speculation and you know maybe you agree or disagree with it. There's a lot of backyard guys like myself that want to produce really great barbecue. You know, I talk to a lot of top teams out there and uh, maybe in my own mind, when I'm in the backyard and I fire up the cooker, I'm competing against myself. I have no desire to actually get out there and do it on the competition circuit and get my balls kicked in. Absolutely not. However, you know, when it's by myself, I might picture myself in a field with all these other teams and, and I want to make a good brisket. Do you think that secretly there's a lot of guys like myself that don't really want to get out on the competition scene, but when they fire it up in the backyard, they want to produce competition-quality barbecue? Is that kind of where we're getting at now? Oh, I think so, absolutely. I think that's why guys like Myron and, and myself and Chris and have become so popular because they think we have that. You know, They want to know about the competition guys. You know, we're, we're so into this thing. We understand the difference between competition barbecue and what we call I call eating barbecue. Yeah. But... Most people don't. That, yeah, they absolutely want to create competition barbecue. That's why all these rubs are on the market and are being successful. That's why the books all sell. That's why people all want to buy the smokers like the, the guys, the competition guys have. Absolutely. I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's great. Uh, it, it's, you get to a certain level where you kind of learn so much about it that you realize that maybe that's not the best thing to want to eat because it, it's just a little too sweet for me and a little too tender. But but I don't think there's anything wrong with home guys trying to emulate it. I'm I'm I sure hope they keep wanting to do that, or I may lose uh, some fan base. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Ray Lampy in our weekly Ask Doctor Barbecue segment. His website drbbq.com, and of course you can go to askdrbbq.com if you want to submit a question here for a future show. And we've been getting a large amount rolling in over the last couple of weeks, uh, which leads me to the next question. Still brisket based from Mike Pagel. Says Dr. Barbecue, I'll be cooking an 11 to 14 pound American Kobe brisket at this weekend's competition. Uh, we call that Wagyu in this country because, of course, there's no such thing as American Kobe, Mike, but of course you knew that. You're just being cute. Uh, I'll be using my 22 inch Weber Smoky Mountain, cooking at 225, foiling about five hours in, and I tend on pulling it at 195 to 200 degrees. So the questions are these Will this type of meat cook faster or slower than choice brisket? That's question number one. Uh, my experience is that it doesn't. I, I know that's the you know what everybody wants to talk about. My experience is really that it doesn't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've cooked a lot of both of them. I never noticed that big of a difference between them, frankly. I don't know. Um, I, I know that a lot of people talk about it, but, 
but hell, it sounds like this guy's got it all figured out anyway. Does that sound like an engineering project? Or uh, Well, I mean, it's aside from the fact he's got it all laid out, I mean, there is a, a fairly big price difference between the two, though, right? Oh, yeah. Well, sure there is. I mean, it's like double, I think. I, I mean, I bet when I was you know, competing a couple years ago, I kind of decided to take it back up pretty seriously, and I did win a couple of contests, and I I didn't think there was any way to, you had to just get them. For one, the quality of the meat is, is outstanding, but also you're getting big, meaty, thick, wide briskets that you can't always get. I don't know where else to get. In Florida, I don't know where to get those. I guess I can rub was promoting a, his meat buddy there in Winter Haven. I guess I could drive over there, but if I just call up one of the big suppliers that I know that that thing $150 later is going to show up at my house and it's going to be what I want. So if you're a legit competitor, I think it's the only way to go. If nothing else, because of size and shape, but quality as well. Uh, it's my understanding that they've bred some of those Wagyu with some, uh, some of our more common domestic animals at this point. So I don't think the it's that radically different of meat anymore. It's just really good quality. Uh, I've seen some real Kobe over the years and or whatever was as close as you could get and it was very different it was insanely marbled and it was really soft and, and that's not what I see when I buy it now but what I do see is a kick-ass brisket so I think it's worth it um, but I, I don't know I, and you know again you can't time barbecue just get over that put it on briskets hold really well for a few hours and and just get the thing cooked and hold on to it you know I I don't know. I you can't time that stuff. I, I don't. I, I'm I'm pleading the fifth on that one. I don't have an answer. <laughs> the second part of the question kind of leads back to what we were talking about is injection. But you know, when you look at those higher grade or higher quality briskets, typically you associate that with, as you said, you know, a lot more marbling, potentially softer. So, does injecting this meat lead to a potentially mushy product at the end? No, and definitely not mushy, because if you understand what the phosphates do, they're not tenderizers. It's really, it's about keeping the meat from drying out. Uh, so those aren't tenderizers. I don't think that creates mushy meat. Uh, there's some people that think the higher-grade meat gets a little mushy versus uh, lower-grade brisket, and it sort of does. I mean, the concept of cooking a brisket is you have this horrible shoe-leather piece of meat, and you do your magic on it, and it melts. Well, those those Wagyu briskets, you could probably take a hunk off and grill it and, it, and eat it. It would be pretty edible, I think. So, I, I, no, it's not going to make it mushy. I, it's, it seems kind of a shame to me to take that beautiful piece of meat and inject it. But I know when I got, again, a couple of years ago, I called in a lot of favors because I'd helped a lot of guys over the years. And almost everybody I talked to was buying those crazy high-end briskets and pumping them death to death. So I did, and I did well with it. So, uh, it's kind of a shame to me. At home, I probably wouldn't. If I bothered to buy a $150 brisket to cook at home, I don't think I would inject it. And I think, see, one of the problems with brisket, too, though, is guys don't really know what it's supposed to be. They want it to taste and feel like pork butt in their mouth. They want it to taste and feel like maybe roast beef or tri-tip, and it's not. It's a whole different thing. If you go to those barbecue restaurants in Texas and eat brisket, you learn to understand it does have a little texture to it. It is a little crunchy on the outside. You do need to have a big sweet tea sitting next to you because it's kind of a, that's what brisket is. And, and a lot of guys don't, they've never really had it, so they don't quite understand. They want it to be like a pork butt. Ray Lampy joining us here on the weekly Ask a Dr. Barbecue segment. All right, so let's kind of transition over. We'll stick with the beef protein here. Uh, this email question coming in from Bud Clark, and he's asking, 
best tri-tip recipe for the Big Green Egg, and I guess it could be any cooker, but obviously he's a Big Green Egg fan. You're the corporate chef for Big Green Egg. I think over your right shoulder on the top of that bookcase, you have like the smallest Big Green Egg ever on the face of the earth. Look at that. I just bought it on eBay. It's it's brand new. Will that cook? I don't try to figure out what year it is, but it's brand new, and it's like one of the original Japanese ones. Isn't it cool? Would it cook if you put fuel in it? Oh yeah, it's fine, wow. but it, it you know it's virginal. I don't want to tarnish it. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to dirty that up. Absolutely not. Um, all right, so I guess first of all, if people aren't familiar, especially you know maybe middle of the country to east coast, it might not be familiar as the term tri-tip. Obviously, the west coasters that's kind of where it lives and breathes. But you know, maybe a little background about that cut of meat, and then uh, a recipe that you like. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a California well, the whole west coast thing. You go to Portland, Seattle, uh, California, they are eating the heck out of those things kind of cool it's, it's like going to texas and and there's a meat case full of beautiful briskets you, you're amazed the first time you see it in california you'll see tri-tips at a good price and there'll be a case full of them down here i have to ask the guy at Publix if he has some and they usually do actually and he'll get it out of the back but they just cut them into steaks because people don't know what it is it's a piece of the sirloin it's one muscle of the sirloin and it's triangular shaped kind of like a, a a boomerang shape almost, but it's thicker on the one side. And when you look at it, when you, if you buy one, leave a little fat on the one side of it, and then but look at the grain very seriously before you go cook it, because it's much like a flank steak, where if you if you were to slice it against the grain, it's going to be a disaster versus slicing it. If you were to slice with the grain versus slicing it, so pay attention to the grain always. There it is. Yeah, that, see see that grain. That's going up and down on it. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. You got to slice it weirdly. Don't just start slicing it like from the top to the bottom because you're not going to be going against the grain. You want to go against the grain. The way I like to cook it, that thing is probably about two pounds. Um, I like to cook it sort of slow grill. And actually, it's a perfect thing for a big green egg because you're cooking direct, but you can close the lid and calm the fire down. Sear it a little bit at first, but ultimately you want it to get to just like a beef roast, about 120 in the middle, 125. I wouldn't go past that unless you, you know, if you like it more than that, it's probably not a good choice for you because if you overcook it, it's going to be tough. Now, there's guys that smoke them way beyond and get them tender and do pretty well with them. For me personally, I like it grilled till it's about 120 in the middle. Let it rest like any beef roast for about five or ten minutes on the board and make sure you slice it thinly against the grain and put it on some sandwiches, and you'll be very happy. As for a rub, kind of what I was talking about with um, with brisket before, I think a lot of salt, a lot of pepper, a lot of garlic. Uh, and they, The legendary Santa Maria town out there in California where they have, they cook it over red oak. Yep. They just burn big piles of red oak, and they have those grills with a big wheel where it goes up and down. And that, So what they do is drop it down, sear it, and then move it up a little bit till it gets up to temp. Um, a lot of garlic, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper. Uh, now, rub-wise for me, and I do have a little bit of experience with this, and I've had some tri-tip experts on the show over the years, uh, definitely with the red oak, uh, the most common side on the left coast is going to be uh, panquito beans, which is you know, kind of like a, a chili bean per se, but uh, it does have a little bit of a chew to it, so I guess if you don't like chewy beans or whatever, it might not be your cup of a tea. But the rub that you use, they do make some really good Santa Maria-style seasoning, and it's like you said, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper, uh, garlic salt, I believe, is in there as well. And uh, 
and it's almost like a, a great all-purpose rub when you're doing it because you can put it on a tri-tip, but then you could turn right around and put it on a steak. You could put it on a prime rib or you know whatever other meat you really like. But uh, you know those three things are kind of key when it comes to tri-tip for me. I, I would assume you know similar to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason they like it so much like that Oof. out there. I went out to uh, Segazio Vineyards in in Sonoma and Healdsburg. They had just bought a giant Jed Master, and Chris Lilly is friends with those folks out there, but he couldn't make it. So I went the first day, and they, the guy that sold him the Jed Master told him they could grill on it. And I said, no, nah, you don't want to do that. And they said, oh, yeah, he said we could do it. So they bought a bunch of tri-tips, and I said, okay. So we rubbed them with salt, pepper, and garlic, fresh garlic, threw them on there, and cooked them until they were the right doneness on the inside. And they were all gray. They weren't seared up, and they were so bummed out. But I told them that was going to happen. And you could eat them that way, but it certainly wasn't as good as you know. Brown stuff tastes good, isn't? Didn't somebody say that once? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Ray Lampy. Uh, Ray, before I let you go, and, and obviously we have a lot to get to for next week already, so that's great stuff. Aside from the questions that will matriculate in during the course of the week, uh, anything you're going to be up to over the weekend that you'd like to promote before I let you go? No, I'm going to probably uh, get drunk in my backyard Saturday. Maybe I'm, I'm home for the weekend. Get ready for a big Bears victory over Washington on Sunday. Probably won't be too hard. Uh, you got RG3, who was not the RG3 of last year after that knee injury. Yeah, and no, I'm running really hard doing this Sam's Club thing, and I finally have a week off, so I'm I'm taking it easy for a few days, but I'll be back at it next week. Actually, be in Columbus next week, Greg. Anywhere good to eat hey, there? Uh, oh, yeah, yes. You know what? Off air, I'm going to give you a place that you have to go for burgers. It's uh, It's made every single television show. I think Guy has been there. Um, and whenever there's a huge game, all of the play-by-play guys go, I'm going to get you the name of it, and then you tell me if it's up to snuff. Cool. Sounds good. All right, uh, we're talking with Ray Lampy. Uh, Ray, good luck, and uh, we – well, good luck getting drunk in your backyard this weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you again next you Tuesday. questions for Raikland you want me to answer? I'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, do I have any questions for Raikland? Yeah, that you want, I could just answer them for him. Uh yeah, uh, how do you feel about uh, apples? It's a- National Apple Month. I don't like apples. They're not very good. Yeah, beat it, apples. Forget it. Uh, Ray, we'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Thanks, Greg. See you. You got it. There he is. Ray Lampy answering questions about everything, including uh, but not excluding apples. I think he was actually not talking about apples at all. I don't know. Uh, all right, give me a couple seconds here to reset, and we will be back. Cold Beer Cheeseburgers in Dayton, Ohio. What's the name of that place? Oh, I want to say it was like Foreman's. It's uh, down in the German district or something like that of Columbus. Where's my sea town? Where's, uh, where's Scotty Walton? What's the name of that burger place, Scotty? Help the brother out. Uh, all right, uh, we'll step away real quick, and then we will come back with Connie's Recipe Corner to wrap up the show. You are listening to the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Networks.
Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. 877-448-0433. Email greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Thanks to Ray Lampy for joining me last segment. Uh, we really lit it up. Not me so much, but he really lit it up on the brisket talk. You know, I got to say, maybe everybody should just relax a little bit. Everybody's so worried about doing a bit the... At the well, you know, Michael's a little bit different because he is doing a uh, competition. So in competition, things are timed and you have to hit marks and, you know, things are going slow or going fast. You're going to have to be able to adapt in order to make sure that you're hitting your turn-in times properly. But look, I mean, dude, if you're in the backyard enjoying one or eight beers and a succulent day outside, I mean, what's the rush, bro? Relax. All right, uh, my next guest has wait wait I have uh, my next guest has been cooking in the kitchen, honing recipes for as long as I can remember, and as luck would have it, I've actually gotten to eat a lot of her creations as well, uh, with such succulent treats as a homemade red sauce, meatloaf, goulash, and how about cream dried beef on toast? Mouth watering yet? Goddamn right. Let's head on over to the hotline and uh, welcome. Connie's Recipe Corner. Connie Rempe joining me here on the show, a.k.a. my mom. Mom, what's up? Well, Greg, uh, who wants to actually have to follow Ray Lampy? You do. Bring it. There's a reason, you know, it's like baseball. We have starters, and then we have closers. (laughs) Well, he's a good starter, that's for sure. It's one one thing to be able to start the show, but you got to be able to close it strong, and that's why... We have to go back to the Rempy blood because we're the only ones out there that can bring it strong when the chips are down. And I don't think the chips are down necessarily, so no pressure. Well, okay, good. <laughs> All right, good. So uh, if you aren't familiar, listeners I'm talking to, if you aren't familiar with uh, Connie's Recipe Corner, uh, my mom comes on, we talk about some recipes that are either her current favorites or favorites that, what the, f- what the hell happened to my camera? Oh, okay, I see what I did. Um these are uh, recipes that she's either worked on or they're favorites of hers. Um, you know, Mom, no offense, but over the evolution of this segment, I've come to find out that after I was left in Ohio and you beat it down to Florida, the culinary expertise went up 500 notches. <laughs> God damn it. when you don't have to cook for so many people, you know? <laughs> well, you know, skills are important to uh, continue to hone, no doubt about it. Uh, all right, so... <laughs> Uh, we are going to be talking about A, one appetizer, B, a entree, and then we will uh, top it off with a dessert. So it's almost like you're going to a restaurant, except the benefit here is you're going to get great recipes. Uh, as always, and you would attest, uh, fairly easy to do all around, right? Always, yes. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really done anything that's going <clears> to <throat> be really complicated. And you're not going to have to spend $700 at a restaurant. Save that money. Chip mom and myself off 50% of the 700. You know, it, I mean, it's the least you can do. And then, you know, put the 350 into funds or something like that for crying out loud. 
sounds good to me. Right. All right. Uh, so we have an appetizer as we lead off every eating endeavor. And tonight it looks like buffalo chicken cheese balls. Uh, never heard of these. Uh, they sound absolutely fantastic. What can you tell me? Well, you know, it's kind of another take on buffalo wings. You know, I, I believe I've done buffalo chicken dip before. Yes. And anytime, you know, anytime you have something to do with chicken wings in any variation, it's always a good thing. So doesn't uh, uh, one, doesn't doesn't my dad, aka your husband, have the original chicken wing hot sauce recipe from Anchor Bar in Buffalo? He absolutely does. Watch yeah. it. Guard it like a vault. Yes. <laughs> so much well, so that one, I've never I've never gotten that recipe. That's how closely he guards it. Really? Yes. Well, I, I think he would probably share it with you. Well, I hope so. We'll have to talk about that off air because I would hate for anybody else to get it who shouldn't get it. That's true. Right. Yes. All right. Buffalo Buffalo serving. chicken cheese balls. Yes. Okay. And this is again, you know, a really easy recipe. Uh, really good for say um, watching football and whatnot. Um, it's uh, you, we're using for the chicken a rotisserie chicken, which you can you know buy at the grocery store. So yep. it's going to make it really easy. And if in fact you didn't want to do that and you wanted to make you know do it at home yourself, you could always use just a couple boneless chicken breasts and bake that. But we're going the easy route and we're going to buy a rotisserie chicken at the grocery store and just um, take the skin off and chop it all up. Um, you're adding to that the uh, Frank's hot sauce, which is, you know, always a must, yep. and hopefully everybody can find the Frank's. Uh, adding just some pepper, uh, sharp cheddar cheese, scallions, and then you're going to just mix that all together, roll it into balls about the size of golf balls is what the recipe calls for, but... You know, you can make them any size you want. If you want really small ones, you can just one pop in the mouth and it's done. You know, that's a good thing, too. But once you roll them into the balls, you're going to do like your uh, breading station. So you're going to have flour in a dish and eggs in a dish and panko breadcrumbs, which are the best breadcrumbs ever. Yes. And, uh, you know, you're just going to roll them in the flour and dip them in the egg and then roll them in the panko and then uh, deep fry them which is, you know, takes a couple of minutes in the deep fryer, and uh, they're done. When uh, you go for your nice dip, we're making our own, although if you, you know, wanted to go the easy route, I'm sure you can always just buy some blue cheese dressing and use that if you need to. But, you know, this is really simple. You're using mayonnaise and blue cheese and some more hot sauce with your Worcestershire sauce, a little salt, a little lemon juice, some garlic, just mix it all together, and that's your dip, and uh, it's it's really delicious and very easy. Well, if it's one thing I know, it's Centralites love to pop hot balls in their mouth. <laughs> oh, did that sound <laughs> weird? I'm tasty. sorry. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, plus a nice uh, blue cheese dip to go with it. Uh, all right, so, I mean, oh, yeah. you know... Uh, Look, I'm lazy. There's no doubt about it. Does it does it sound more labor intensive prep wise than it really is? No, I mean it is easy. No. You know, okay. and if you have this dip left over, it's a great salad dressing too. Oh, absolutely! You know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, it's really good. So it is not really labor intensive at all. It goes really quick and uh, it actually eats up really quick too. So, good. All right. So yeah. those are your uh, buffalo. Uh, oh crap! I forgot what they were called. The buffalo chicken cheese chicken. balls. That's right. I forgot the cheese. I was going to say it. buffalo chicken balls. But buffalo chicken cheese balls. Uh, and then, right. so we've eaten the uh, aspartif, and now it's ready for the main course. And tonight it's slow cooker beef burgundy. And now, of course, I would always throw out the cautionary note that on a barbecue and grilling show, the term slow cooker always brings negative connotations. But, hey, we're not talking about, you know, barbecue and grilling here. We're getting a little bit more wide open. Uh, slow cooker beef burgundy. What do we know? Well, maybe we should have uh, labeled it crock pot, you know? Yes, because nobody has any idea that slow cooker and crock pot are the same thing. Yeah. Nobody. Yep. <laughs> they are synonymous. So, yeah. yeah Sorry right. about the slow cooker thing. I I forgot that means a lot of different things for you folks, for sure. Well, those so. people are, not me, Mom. Those people are snobs. Forget them. <laughs> Well, again, this one is very easy. Uh, It's something I like to do on a day that I'm going to work because I can put it all together beforehand, slap it in the crock pot, and when I come home, dinner's ready. So to prep that up, I use just two pounds of stew beef. Right. And uh, you want to get that out of the refrigerator, you know, let it come to, you know, kind of room temperature. Um, it's best to pat it dry so you don't have any excess liquid on it. Right. Um, salt and pepper them, and then you're going to um, flour them. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, then you're going to um, saute them in a hot skillet with some oil in there. Just make sure that you get it all browned. Put that in the slow cooker when they're all nice and browned. And again, in that same pan, you're going to cook three slices of bacon. Actually, you know what? You're going to do the bacon first. Do the bacon. um, Cook it until it's crisp. Take it out. Let it uh, cool off and drain on some paper towels. Then you're going to crumble that up. Put that in the slow cooker. Then you're going to do your beef into that grease that's left in the pan. So you're going to get, you know nice flavor in yep, there yep. so you're going to do the bacon then you're going to do the beef again just keep adding it to the crock pot in that same pan you're going to add the mushrooms that you're going to quarter i use pearl the frozen pearl onions uh the recipe calls for a half a bag but you can use more or less you know as you want yep. so you're going to add mushrooms the pearl onions uh, a couple cloves of garlic to that pan and saute them for about five minutes until they're nice and brown too uh, you're going to add that mixture to the slow cooker then you're going to glaze your pan with a couple cups of burgundy and uh, some beef broth and uh, some ketchup gives it a nice flavor so you deglaze the pan get all those tasty little bits out of the bottom of the pan add that to the slow cooker you're going to put a couple bay leaves in there too Um, put the top on the slow cooker and uh, you can cook it uh, let's see what do i have on low for about um, four or five hours or on no on high for about five hours and then on low for about seven hours although i've let it cook a lot longer than that because usually i'm at work like nine hours so you know it's not going to make any difference and uh 
in the end, you're going to thicken it up with a little flour and water that you're going to stir together and just make it a little thicker. And uh, I usually serve it over hot buttered noodles. People like it with mashed potatoes, and it's, uh, it's really good. Serve it with some crusty bread and a nice salad, and it makes for a, a really delicious dinner and with very little effort. Who, who are these people you're talking about? Well, you know, our friends that come down here, um, Galucci's, you know, yeah. that like to winter down here. They're always coming over, wanting to be fed. We have, we actually have <laughs> friends that, uh, you know, live down here, and we invite them over and actually feed them, too. Oh, man, you there's know? a lot of needy people down there in Florida. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, well, you know, no matter where you live, people want to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're not paying or cooking, they want to eat more and more. It's very true. Yes. No wonder this no wonder this country is fat. Um, <laughs> in the uh, recipe roster or in the ingredients roster, that also says two bay leaves. Is that a necessity? No. You know what? Nothing is a necessity. Well, you don't here's have, my if question. If you don't have bay leaves, okay. If you don't like the onions, you can leave those out. If you're not a mushroom person, you could leave those out. You could throw in some carrots if you want to. You know, it's uh, it's a recipe which is, you know, what I call more of guidelines. So, you know, you can kind of add and subtract to your taste. You know, I've never, ever, ever used a, well, one, let alone two bay leaves like, what does that actually do? It, it, you know, it's a seasoning. It has flavor in it. So when it stews in any juice, it imparts a bay leaf flavor. So if you've never had one, I suppose oh, you better, you never. should buy them and take a whiff of them, and you kind of get an idea that that's the scent that it's imparting to it, whatever you're putting it in. Does it smell or taste like chicken? Well, certainly everything tastes like chicken, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, that is slow cooker beef burgundy. Now, you know, when you mention burgundy, wine snobs start pouring out of the woodwork. Uh, do you just want to buy, like, yeah. the lowest-grade burgundy because you're more of a, a deglazing type of a thing? Or, are you also, or do you want to buy perhaps a, a middle-of-the-road or upper, cook with a couple cups, but then you're also enjoying a glass of the burgundy wine while you're eating? Yes, you never, ever want to cook with a wine that you don't want to drink also. So, you know, as you are definitely cooking this, you're going to be drinking a nice glass of wine because you're going to not put the whole bottle of wine in there. So, yeah, you want to enjoy a lovely bottle of wine. All right, lovely bottle of wine. All right, so after you get done, you've stuffed yourself with uh, the buffalo chicken cheese balls. You've kept room for the slow cooker beef burgundy. We couldn't possibly have room for something dessert-wise until you realize that's dessert. Now, look, uh, I've been highly critical of never eating anything you've brought to the show, well, except for a couple things. This is one of them, a family favorite from long ago, frozen strawberry yogurt pie, making its uh, successful, triumphant return here to the Barbecue Central Show, where I guess that would be inaugural uh, return to the... It can't be a novel return. Making its debut. How about debut? Uh, debut work. Something that we enjoyed as uh, kids quite often, and then it kind of went away. And then when we were talking on the phone a little bit earlier today, uh, my twin brother said, you know, what about this recipe about a year ago? And all of a sudden it's made this popular reemergence. It has. 
I mean, truly, we had kind of forgot about it. We used to, as you say, as kids, you know, you guys ate it all the time. And it was like we moved down here. And uh, it was kind of one of those things I didn't make anymore until, you know, your brother called and said, hey, what's that recipe? And it's like, oh, yeah, that was good. And we've had it routinely ever since. So, you know, it's a, it is a light and fluffy kind of dessert. You know, it uh, after having, you know, a rather hearty appetizer and dinner, this is, you know, you're definitely going to have room for this. So, yeah. All right. How do we make easy it? easy to make. How do we make it? Uh, it? The filling is just three containers of strawberry yogurt. All right. And a container of Cool Whip. You're just going to mix that together, set it aside, and you can either, A, make your own graham cracker crust, which I usually do, or you could buy, you know, a graham cracker crust that's already pre-done, but, you know, making it is not that difficult, and it just requires a package of graham crackers that you're going to crush, a half a stick of melted butter, a couple tablespoons of sugar, mix it all together, you know, pat it into the pie dish, pop it into the oven and cook it for a little bit until it's, you know, crispy. Let it cool down, pour in the filling, pop it in the freezer, and, uh, you know, freeze it for, it's probably going to take three or four hours or overnight. And uh, you just want to take it out of the freezer for, you know, five or ten minutes before you cut it, just so, you know, you can cut it a little easier. But, uh, you know, it's really refreshing, and you can use the the fat-free yogurt and the fat-free Cool Whip, and, you know, it's, it's basically good for you. Basically so, good for you. Well, you know, except the you know, Cool Whip is probably not the best thing for you. And what? It's the best thing I for you. I highly using... recommend. I recommend eating Cool Whip by the spoonful, right out of the container. For crying out loud, who said that that's not good? Jesus <laughs> made it good it for a delicious. reason. Yeah. Oh well. If it's hey, if it's delicious, it's good for you. It has to be that way. Well. Well, certainly, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, certainly. And, and, you know, in another way, when you kids were little, I used to make the uh, the, the filling and just put it between a graham cracker that I had cut in half, so then they were like squares, and oh, just yeah. like a, you know, like an ice cream sandwich. Only it was a you know a yogurt sandwich. So a weird thing, was... a weird thing just happened to me just then, and we're not talking about any of the food, but you just said you kids. And that's what Grandma Lapiana used to call us, you kids. That's crazy. Wow. I just had a, I just had a very shuddery moment there for a second. Uh, nobody else can appreciate that except you and me, so screw everybody else. I don't care. Uh, so easy enough. Frozen strawberry yogurt pie is dessert uh, for the entree. It was slow cooker beef burgundy, and then you started it all with the buffalo chicken cheese balls. Now, as always, if anybody is listening to this now or in podcast form, all you have to do Send me an email, Greg, at the BBQ Central Show. Reference the date, which is October 16th. Is it October 16th? And uh, I will send this to you via Word document and an attachment through email. And, you know, try it out. Let let us know what you think. I'll pass your thoughts along to my mom when I talk to her. And, uh, you know, make adjustments, make improvements, make non-improvements if you see fit. Whatever the case may be, we're more than happy to get your feedback on these recipes. And, uh, Mom, as always, I appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing uh, what's new. It was a pleasure. Thank you. There she is, my mom. Bringing it strong, helping me close the show correctly tonight. And that's all that I can ask my mom to do these days. Getting old now. Not going to lie. Mom, no offense. All right. Let's put a wrap on this. 
Wednesday show. Before we head out, I want to thank Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue, for joining me. Talk a lot about brisket. Go back to the archives and get all of that stuff. There's a lot of great information shared there. Lots of questions in the queue already for next week. If you have a question for Ray to answer, ask drbbq.com. That's the easiest way. Or tweet at me. At BBQ Central Show, hashtag AskDRBBQ. Then my mom, of course, if you want some of her recipes, email me October 16th in the subject line, and I will return email with an attachment in Word format-wise, and uh, you'll be set to go there. Uh, if you cook with raw cast iron, season it each and every time. Give you generations of rust-free service, also September 11th, 2001. I will see you back next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And until then, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.